This is Kyle McCord, and you're listening to Austin, Felix, and Matt on the W Debate. Welcome to the W Debate. All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Austin, you tweeted something, girl. You tweeted your running back right now. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. You jumped up and... That's Austin Nate, who is going to be that guy. And for me, Bijan Robinson is still going to be that guy. Back to the ground with Robinson, who spins and then tries to bounce it. A stiff arm, another one as he rides it, keeps his balance. They're going to say he stepped out, but I'm... I'm Felix Sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. Screener draw. Oh, Wilson is going to uncork for the end zone. And he drops it in beautifully. And it is his roommate, Dax Milne, on the touchdown. That's Matt Brody. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I waxed poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this time it's Fields on the carry. Watch out! Justin Fields! Hello, Columbus! 51 yards! Brunin, are you ready to go head-to-head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on. Gotta continue. I just got Kyle McCord is going to end up winning the job. He's going to be rated higher. I'm... Well, I'm not nearly as passionate about what I'm about to talk about. <laughs> Our apologies to Kirk Street and Adam Time will get rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Nate, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 in the time zone with a monopoly on time. That means it's time for the debate debate brought to you by CampusCan.com. That's Matt Bruning. That's Austin Nace, and I'm Felix Sharp on an amateur version of tonight's show. Which athlete stands to gain the most from NIL legislation? We fill the Debbie Debate Listener League, and with Malik Willis, a first-round pick. But we start with the NCAA landscape is changing and changing rapidly today. Just today, the NCAA Board of Directors approved an interim NIL policy throughout the country, meaning that college athletes in all 50 states will be able to monetize their names, images, and likeness starting tomorrow. And doing so will no longer violate NCAA rules. In some, that means that third parties, Nike, McDonald's, Adidas, Adidas will be able to purchase uh, naming rights from athletes, and athletes will be able to profit from their names, images, and likeness. Um, Before that, we saw somewhat of a domino effect from the first five states to pass NIL legislation. That was Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, New Mexico, and Texas. And last week, Kentucky passed their own NIL legislation, and that was by executive order the governor of Kentucky passing NIL uh, uh, rules by executive order saying that they did not want Kentucky to fall back in recruiting. And obviously Kentucky with UofL and UK, very big basketball schools. This is not just a college football issue, but it's an NCAA 
uh, college sports issue. Also, last week, um, a case, uh, you know, the Supreme Court handed down an opinion in the case of NCAA versus Alston, where students challenged these uh, regulations that the NCAA has on compensation that they can receive. Now, the specific issue that went to the court in Alston was the rules related to education-related benefits. Currently, NCAA athletes conceive, quote-unquote, education-related benefits like graduate or vocational school scholarships payments for academic tutoring, um, post-athletic eligibility internships, uh, but there are caps on what you can receive. And so that issue was appealed to uh, the Supreme Court. Now, what's interesting about Supreme Court decisions is they often give you a history lesson on a particular issue. And so in this uh, case, uh, the Supreme Court provided a history on compensation of college athletes. And very early on, when college sports were first played, it was common. It was common for NCAA athletes to be compensated. In fact, uh, in the late 1800s, Yale, in order to beat Harvard, reportedly lured a tackle named James Hogan with free meals and tuition, a trip to Cuba, and an exclusive right to to sell scorecards from his games and a a job as a cigarette agent for the American Tobacco Company. Um, (laughs) So... uh, uh, Paying players has gone all the way back to the beginning of the foundation of the NCAA. In fact, there was no residency requirements for athletes to play for teams. So in one situation, there was a student who was <laughs> at law school in West Virginia, went to another school, played for their, their game on, on a Saturday and was back in his law in, at his law school on a Wednesday. Um, this goes way back. The Supreme Court, anyway, the Supreme Court uh, upheld the lower court saying that the NCA cannot limit education-related benefits. So what does that mean? There's no cap on what schools can offer as far as internships, tutoring, graduate school scholarships, vocational school scholarships, um, uh, that sort that sort of thing. This, But the most interesting thing, and if you were paying attention, um, the the news was Justice Kavanaugh's concurring opinion. So he agreed with the majority opinion, but he wanted to add his own little two cents. And the reason being, and this was an antitrust case that went before the Supreme Court. Um, the basis for the challenge was uh, that these practices of capping wages, capping benefits, that they violate antitrust law. And Justice Kavanaugh, even though that issue was not before the court, essentially said, the students are right here. The students are right here. College football or college sports cannot justify their um, uh, anti-competitive practices by saying, well, that's what college sports is. And I just want to read a few clips just to illustrate the shot that Justice Kavanaugh took to the NCAA in his opinion. In my view, that argument is circular and unresponsive. That's in response to saying that the, the, the NCAA's argument that it would blur the line between college sports and pro sports if, if athletes were paid. 
The NCAA couches its argument for not paying student athletes in innocuous labels, but labels cannot disguise the reality. The NCAA's business model would be flatly illegal in almost any other industry in America. All the restaurants in a region cannot come together to cut cooks' wages on the theory that customers prefer to eat food from low-paid cooks. Law firms cannot conspire to cabin lawyers' salaries in the, in the name of providing legal services out of a love for the law. Hospitals cannot agree to cap nurses' income in order to create a pure form of helping the sick. News organizations cannot join forces to curtail pay to reporters to preserve a tradition of public-minded journalism. Movie studios cannot collude to slash benefits to camera crews to kindle a spirit of amateurism in Hollywood. I mean, that is a it's a big blow from a Supreme Court justice saying that the NCAA's. Well, if we pay the players, they're no longer amateurs rationale that that just doesn't stick. I want to I'm going to read one more uh, paragraph from Justice Kavanaugh's concurring opinion. The bottom line is that the NCAA and its member colleges are suppressing the pay of student athletes who, college, who, who collectively generate, generate billions of dollars in revenues for colleges every year. Those enormous sums of money flow to seemingly everyone except the student athletes, college presidents, athletic directors, coaches, conference commissioners, and the NCAA executive Executives take in six and seven figure salaries. Colleges build lavish new facilities, but the student athletes who generate the revenues, many of whom are African-American and come from low, lower income backgrounds, end up with little or nothing. Um, end of quote there. Gentlemen, it seems like the foundation for the NCAA not paying players is crumbling piece by piece here, and it's happening rapidly. Somebody else speak now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't have more to read. Okay. Uh, well, I'm a little disappointed that you didn't say monopsony at the beginning of the show instead of uh, monopoly. It was a little bit disappointing. Um, I mean, I don't – they had to do this because it was not going to fly with 25 or you know, 30 states or whatever having some rules and, and others not having it. Um I'm interested to see the fight that's going to go on here. There, there are rumors, you know, Tommy Tuberville came out today and said that he doesn't think this should be a thing, and he's in Congress now. So I, there's going to there, the fight is not over, um, but I'm I I want to see I want to see commercials. I want to see shitty commercials with players that blatantly can't act on TV, advertising shitty things that I'll never buy, but just cracks me up. That's all I want. So I'm happy. I'm I, I'm very very happy. I mean, Bernie, you got to be happy that. That, that, ahead, that Ohio State doesn't have to do this under the table anymore. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they don't do anything under the table anyways. And again, you know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Yeah, Kevin, I'm sorry. As soon as Felix starts talking most of the time, my eyes just glaze over. So I was actually replying to Moxley on Twitter and having some fun talking about some interesting stuff like the Elite 11. So, yeah, good times. Is that it? Okay. All yeah, right. So all we, we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, NIL – NIL and its effect when a little bit later in the show, but we want to move on to our listener league. We are going to, we had, I think we had nine folks all together um, and we're going to add the remaining five um, just to recap, including the four of us, including Chris Moxley, Jay Haggerty, Dylan McKaggy, Joshua Avery, Reginald Lowry, Logan M. Holtz. Those were the nine. 
And all right, drum roll, please, for the remaining folks. All right, we got Mikhail Erickson, Brandon Hay, Lucas Probasco, Josh Corbett, and Kevin Holcomb. The 14 of you, uh, the 14 of us will be participating in the Debbie Debate C2C League. We really appreciate everyone who submitted an entry. Please remember to leave the show a five-star rate and review. We're an independent brand. We're an independent podcast, and we want to keep growing this thing. We're doing giveaways all the time. We've given away a Javante Williams jersey. We've given away a uh, Kyler Murray jersey, and we're going to keep doing those giveaways, but we appreciate your support. All right, boys, let's do this again. Are we ready for the Debbie Debates? Let's do it. Let's do it. Which NCAA athlete deserves to be the highest compensated under under the new NIL rules? Who's going first? Matt, me? You're first. Uh, yes. I think the easy answer is Spencer Rattler. I mean, well, you know, usually you throw it to somebody, so I, I didn't know if you were throwing. Uh, Spencer Rattler, I think, is the easy answer here. I mean, he's got the moxie. Everybody hates him from QB1. Uh, but if he goes out there and has a good year, I mean, he's – widely considered by many to be the, the number one quarterback in this draft so, and probably going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft unless he completely falls apart this year. Uh, so I think he's the easiest now. I wanted to cheat and say Quinn Ewers because the golden mullet and going to the Ohio State University when he comes in next year, dude's going to rake in the money. But since he's not technically in college uh, this year, I'll go Spencer Rattler. The easy answer is Sam Howell. and He's going to do a chicken nugget commercial. I love it. Chicky nuggies, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Colin, that's for you, my friend. Uh, there's not really a face of college football, is there? No. I mean, you no. know, like last year, we had it would be easily Trevor Lawrence and followed by Justin Fields. And, and then I bet you Zach Wilson would have got like a monster energy commercial uh, late in the season. Um, but I'm going to pick Kayvon Thibodeau. Kayvon Thibodeau is probably the best defensive player in the country. Even in a COVID-shortened season, he still had three sacks and 9.5 tackles for loss. Um, You know, he's probably the next Vaughn Miller-type player, depending on whether he stands up or puts his hand in in the dirt. He can probably do either. So I'm going to go with Kayvon Thibodeau. All right, which school school stands uh, the most to gain from student-athletes being compensated under NIL? And I'm going to start here with Oregon. Oregon, Oregon, because they're already associated with a major brand in, in Nike. I mean, who doesn't want to be a, a Nike or a Jumpman um, uh, pitch person? And so I, I think that you have to say uh, uh, Oregon because, you know, they've, they've already got that association. They've got all the colorful jerseys. And you can be Team Nike as a freshman in college. I think that it ha- it has to be Oregon. Yeah, I mean it's an interesting choice. I I, I mean I love the fact that they get all those uh, fancy uniforms from Nike, but would Nike pay all of those players? I, I would imagine these guys are going to have to be. You're you're likely only going to get the name guys that are getting paid, don't you think? You, you think uh, you think they might be hurting? They might have to budget for uh, to pay no, a few more players. I, I imagine Nike. Nike is uh, is not hurting at all for money. You know they're going to slash throw wages some across hey. Southeast Asia. <laughs> they want if they want to throw some Marway. You know, Debbie debate looking for a sponsor. You know, Nike. We're big fans. I went with Miami. Uh, the U 
I just think they've got a bunch of big boosters living, being down there in Miami. I imagine nobody down there is hurting for money with where the school is located. You got a bunch of kids down there, I'm sure, who can do all kinds of things, whether it's cars, whatever, boosting car stuff. Others, I, I was going to make an illegal joke, but I'll leave that alone. I mean, but you've got all kinds of stuff that you can do down there in Miami. It's a great place to go to just because of the women and the beaches alone. Then you add in the money you can get from boosters and everything else. So, I'm going with Miami. So I, I mean, I actually didn't put one answer here, but I think the obvious answer is either of the LA schools or like someone that's near New York city. Right. Like, I think those are the obvious answers. They're just such big corporate hubs. You have volume of people uh, of companies there to pay you. So I feel like this really benefits, you know, USC, UCLA a lot. And that Rutgers, they're close to New York city. They have that market all to themselves. Right. Like, I don't know if Rutgers ever becomes a destination, but you got to figure if someone can kind of harness the New York City thing and, and use that to their advantage. It's got to be it's got to be someone around that area. So I, Rutgers is one that I think would be interesting to, to watch out for and see what they could drum up. Well, if we're going to talk about corporate hubs, we need to so to to throw Minnesota in there. Um, Minnesota is one of these off the beaten path places, but for some reason it has more the headquarters of more fortune 500 companies than like, you know, any, any other place per capita. So, um, let's throw, let's throw Minnesota in there too. But, um, obviously any corporations can sponsor athletes all over the country, but location might matter. Location might matter. Pittsburgh is one of the top five corporate hubs in the country as well, actually, weirdly. So. Pitt's still not going to be good, so just give that. No, uh, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing. Luke brought up a really good one, Tennessee, and their ongoing sponsorship with McDonald's should actually provide very well for them. So that was a good one, Luke. I forgot about that. We should have brought up Tennessee. Felix didn't um, care for that at all. I didn't. What's what's Tennessee's sponsorship with McDonald's? I've never heard. They were given the recruits McDonald's bags for cash. Cash. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's been a gotcha. long day okay. for Felix, everybody, ladies and gentlemen. So Spencer Rattler is right. the right answer. Very saucy dude. I agree with you. All right. Um, we have a mailbag today and um, uh, a couple of questions from our Discord. Be sure to check out the Discord at campusdecanton.com. It's a really fun place to hang out. We're always talking about stuff in there. Um, Elite 11 starts today. Who is going to impress beyond, obviously, everyone knows the name, Quinn Ewers, but who is going to impress beyond him? There, I think this year is really tough to say. The last year, there were only a couple guys that I really, really liked. Um, I could see, like, legitimately, like eight or nine people win. Well, I th- mean, coming second. If, yes, the winning, like, winning this is getting second because Quinn Ewers is going to win this. There is like very little doubt in my mind. He's just the best at literally every single category in this entire class. In my, except for he might not be the best rusher. Yeah, that might be Gavin Wimsatt or, or somebody else, Jacory Brown. Um, I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the guy that finishes second is Drew Aller, who's going to Penn State. I talked about him a couple weeks ago. He is a Josh Allen type guy. He's six four and a half, about two hundred and thirty pounds, big arm, confident. I think the only thing that he really has to work on is that I'm worried that he's a little too overconfident in his arm and he, the decision-making might have to be reined in a little bit. Um, but I'd rather have a guy that's like that than a guy that's the opposite. You know, you're trying to like, hey, you can, you know, you can work the middle of the field, buddy. You can pass it more than 10 yards downfield. Um, so I, I, I think Aller has a chance. He's accurate. He's got a very nice arm. 
you know, he can move, he throws really well on the run. I think a lot of the different skills competitions, he's going to do very well. And it really hurts to say, cause he's going to Penn state and he is recruiting hard. Like he's bringing guys to Penn state with him. So it's, I wish he would stop, but I think he's going to do well uh, this weekend. So he is my pick to finish second. Um, but like, I, I think there's a lot of names in there. If you say Cat and Hauser right now, Matt, so help me God. I don't think he's going <laughs> to, I mean, he's close. I think he's good. Is it Cat? And I thought it was Caton. So I'm, I'm I saying his name wrong, but uh, I no, mean, I do think he's got a chance to do. I know you don't like him. I think he's going to really he's open fine. up some eyes this week. I know. Well, you know, Captain Howard committed we, to um, Michigan uh, State. Michigan State. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we've we've learned something too as we've been doing our prospect stuff and learning this. Is you're that guy who like someone comes in with like a fucking hundred and fifty page essay, like poured their heart and soul into it, and you're like C plus. And I'm that guy's like A plus for effort, my friend. Like I give out much better grades than you do. Just to give you guys like a peek, we were. I haven't gone through all my wide receiver ones, but like. There's already a couple of guys I think are going to be good. And then Austin's in like, nah, they're all fucking tier fours. They all suck. So it's just, it's it's funny listening to him talk about these players. <laughs> You're like, this guy sucks. This guy sucks. This guy. I was like, oh, fuck. I thought he was actually kind of good. So, but no, I, I don't think Hauser's going to be up with like, because uh, I agree with all of, we were talking with Colin. I think it was in the Discord yesterday about yeah. that because I, I think he's really good too. I, it hit them getting Penn State getting him, and then I do think Hauser going to Michigan State could be a good thing for Michigan State as well. So Big Ten is doing a really good job of bringing in their future quarterbacks. You know, a guy we were talking about a little bit in our Slack channel and Devin Brown. I know some aren't that high on him, but him going to USC I think is a big deal. He hasn't played much, but I do think this will give him a shot to kind of prove himself. He looked really good in the regional stuff from what I saw. Uh, and then a guy that uh, Alfred was talking about, I've seen a little bit on the uncommitted kid, L Luther Richardson, I believe is how you see his last name. Just looks like a guy who's going to, as Alfred said, we, our article just dropped on it. So if you guys haven't seen it, go campusdecant.com. We wrote up a bunch of these guys and he put on, and I agree with what he said on here, that he he's like the the diamond in the rough of this group. You you wouldn't even know who he is. I think, what did I, where, where did you put him at? Because he's got him on here. Um, oh, damn it. Did it get taken out of there? He's like the thousand something rated recruit on 247 right now. And, and I, I do think that he's going to shoot up draft, not draft boards, but up the rankings after this weekend. I mean, there's a lot of guys. I mean, Ty Simpson, Zach Pyron uh, going to Baylor, I think is a very interesting choice for him. He's another guy who I think could do really good here. Obviously, everybody knows Malik Murphy. Uh, one guy that I'm interested to see how good or bad he possibly does is uh, Clay Cade Klubnik, who I know you don't like, and neither does Moxley, but a lot of people do. So I'm very intrigued to see what he does uh, over the next couple of days. Cade Klubnik, who is committed to Clemson, is going to take over for DJ Uyunglele uh, after. No, he won't. No. It'll be the guy from well, the 2023 It's, it's going to be like Arch Manning. What his name? Yeah. yeah. If, if Arch Manning, I, I think yeah, it won't be Cade. Uh -huh. Go ahead, Austin. You, you wanted to say something there? I, so I, I have two things. Well, I guess three things. Um, one, yes, that Luther Richardson kid, I sat down and watched him a little bit today. He could be this year's Jackson Dart as a guy that was literally an afterthought and by April is, you know, getting offers from all over the place. Um, two, my strictness in my grading is a good thing. And I'm not that – I've given out a lot of really good grades to quarterbacks and running backs. I'd, 
if somebody i would i will challenge i will i i i will give something away to somebody i don't know what it is i don't want to speak out of turn here and give something away i shouldn't give away you don't want to you don't want to get kicked in the nuts if you're wrong <laughs> i don't want to do that no <laughs> um if someone can find me a wide receiver that i can give a tier one grade to in next year's class the 2022 class i will give something away i will figure it out it will be something good no, so I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I I think it's a good thing. I'm saying I think that's what again I've I've said it before. We've all talked. About, I think it's the one thing that helps make our side as good as it is because everybody views things differently. So me who's talking up at Kate and Hauser that again I, I agree with you. I don't know. I think he has possible NFL future. But I'm not talking about him being like even a top twelve guy. But I think he could be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And you talk about well, I see him as a college producer, but I don't know if he has that NFL. I, I do think that's the best part about our site is that we give kind of like the full circle. And everybody. It's not all of us walk. I mean, except for Quinn Ewers, we're not all walking in here and be like, this guy's amazing. And this guy sucks. Like we all have differing opinions, which I think is what makes it good. I, I appreciate your strictness. And in a way it makes me go back and look at some other players that I'm like, well, I really thought this kid, like, who is it? I mean, I still think you're wrong on Sawchuck, but when you came in with like full, full throated, no, nah, Gavin Sawchuck's not as good as you're saying, Matt. I'm like, no, fuck you. Yes, he is. And then I had to go back and watch him like three or four times to see if I really believed in him. But yeah, I, I like the way that you grade your players and everything. I don't mean it as a, as a knock on you. I promise mm-hmm, you I say mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. No. And uh, just one other name I wanted to throw out. I'm sorry, Felix. Um, Nick Evers is a guy that I think this kind of competition is made for. I like him as a quarterback. He's so I have I have Drew Aller as my QB six in this class. I know I just like gushed about him and he's only my QB six. It's a very strong quarterback class. Very, very strong. Um Evers is my QB five. Um Evers has amazing like ball placement and accuracy. So I think a lot of these drills are going to highlight the best parts of his game. Nick Evers is going to Florida next year. He's like a borderline three or four star kid. I think he's quarterback 21 in the class. I expect that to rise. And to be honest, I think he, if he goes there, I think he's better than Carlos Del Rio Wilson, who's there. And if Anthony Richardson can't beat out Emory Jones this year, then I have zero hope for Anthony Richardson. So I think Evers can go there and push for playing time in his first two years on campus. So I, Watch out for Nick Evers this year. One of the lower rated guys that's going to be on on in attendance, but is going to impress, in my opinion. And since, since Felix hasn't, last, uh, go, ahead. go ahead, Felix. Twelve of the last thirteen quarterbacks to win the Heisman were elite eleven finalists. I believe that's the statistic that Alfred posted yes. this morning. I was going to say, since Felix hasn't watched any of these guys, I will give one more. Not that I think he's going to do great in the throwing stuff, but Nate Johnson. I, I just did the the write-up and everything on him today. Um, I talked about, uh, if you read in there, I, I feel like Utah is really kind of coming around to a type like Felix with his wide receivers and drafting these uh, track stars that can play quarterback. Uh, very interesting player, really good with his legs, a lot of speed, uh, and a decent arm as well. So interested to see what he does this weekend. He's committed to – Utah, going behind my guy, Peter Costelli. You're just going to keep touting uh, Utah quarterbacks until one of them pans out, aren't you? One of these two is going to pan out. I'm going to look like a genius, and that's all that matters. just takes one. All right. Um, This question comes from Dom uh, FFL in the Discord. Who are tight end targets in C2C startup drafts? I'll tell you one of mine is Elijah Arroyo uh, going to Miami, a freshman who did not – go through the spring program with an injury, but he played a lot of wide receiver in college and could run routes like a wide receiver. 
you know, and it seems like that is what, um, uh, well, there's a very high ceiling for that type of player if they can put on the requisite weight and still um, move th that way. And so Elijah Arroyo. And then uh, Miami has been a, a, a program that has produced quality, quality tight ends going all the way back to Bubba Franks uh, and obviously um, Kellen Winslow, um, Jeremy, Jeremy Shockey. Shockey. Jeremy Shockey. Jeremy Shockey, who uh, uh, Dave Richard, you know, did not like when I cut him off to say Jer Jeremy Shockey comparison when, when he had him on talking about Kyle Pitts. But um, so I, I like what Miami does to develop tight ends. And I like a, a Elijah Arroyo as a talent. Elijah Arroyo, who I mentioned on one of the first episodes of the show as my favorite tight end in the class. So point Austin. Moxley, you keeping track, keeping points? There you go. Austin's got one. He just tonight. he flipped you off. For those of you not watching in the back, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Any other any other tight ends that we're targeting? I mean, I can give another one. Is Lucas I've got Kroll. a I've got a couple, but go well, ahead. Felix. Let me get Lucas Kroll from Pitt, who transferred from Florida. Obviously, backed up. Um, uh, we mentioned Kyle Pitts. Backed up Kyle Pitts there. You know, I like players who check boxes. And Lucas Kroll, I don't know how productive he's going to be, but he is 6'5", 260. So he has NFL size already. He looked good in the spring game. Um, so Lucas Kroll is another one. And he's somebody that you can get really, really late. I'm not even sure if we have him ranked um, at the website, but Lucas Kroll is a late, late player that I'm looking at. Hmm. Anyone else? Yeah, All so right. in terms of in terms of – value guys that I find myself getting a lot of. Um, wow. His name just went right in one ear and out the other. Cole Turner, the guy from Nevada. I have him on so many teams, former wide receiver, six, five, six, six, two forty. moves really well. Consistent last year. I don't know if he'll be as consistent this year with the return of Elijah cooks there, but he's a guy that I like. Um, and then just some other guys that I find myself kind of grabbing, um, I take Grant Calcaterra late in places when I can, like after the 30th round. Um, you know, the concussion stuff is scary. I left, you know, I had to retire from Oklahoma, then decided he wanted to come back, transferred, transferred to Auburn, and then made his way, you know, decided Auburn wasn't it. He's going to SMU this year. They just got, they just graduated Kylan Granson. So we know that offense can support a tight end. The big question with him is because he retired because of concussions, you have to think if he gets one more. It's probably over. We really don't want an Austin Collie situation on our hands. Um, so, so Grant or um, uh, Calcaterra is a guy that I like late, um, but there is a lot of like I, if he's your tight end one, at the, at, that's a scary, scary proposition in my opinion. So Cole Turner is going off the board at one twenty three point six. He was one that I was going to bring up. Uh, a later guy we've talked about him on the show. Helped me win our little uh, debate thing. And Brant Keith, I believe is how you say it. I believe is how we were corrected to say it. Uh, two fifty one point seven five is his current ADP. So you can get him really late again. I think he's going to produce this year at Utah, and he's got some NFL upside. Uh, and then last for me, I mean, how can you not target the Ohio State Buckeyes tight end Jeremy? Ruck? I mean, he's going to – I'm G. Scott Jr., baby. He's going to be the top tight end in the 2024 class. Unfortunately, his ADP is a little out of whack, but that will probably change once more and more people start to realize he's a tight end now, not a wide receiver. Just had to go talk about my guy, G. Scott. And, and one other name that I think has really fallen through the cracks this offseason, we just – Felix, he's hopping in and we just keep I know. talking over. <laughs> I think Sorry, he's, done. he's done after, like, that first, like, 10-minute – he's like, I'll – 
I'm done, guys. Just Felix is like, I babysat all afternoon, and now I'm babysitting <laughs> these two freaking idiots. <laughs> um, Jatavian Sanders at Texas. I, in a year, he may be worth nothing, and that's fine because you do not you don't have to spend a very early pick to get Jatavian Sanders. But he was the top athlete, I believe, in this year's recruiting class at Texas. He was. I forget if he finished as a five-star. He was a borderline four- and five-star, though. They kept saying, well, he's going to play edge. He's going to play edge. He's going to play edge. So I didn't even have him ranked to start off this offseason. And then spring kind of happened. You know, Malcolm Epps leaves. They they don't have a lot of other guys there. They have um, – I'm trying to think who the other guy's name is. Uh, Jared Wiley, I believe. And then they don't really have a lot. So they were like, okay, Jatavian Sanders is playing tight end. He's big – He's athletic. He's a freak. He's, I mean, I don't know. How, there is tape of him playing tight end in high school. I'm not sure if it's going to translate or not, but yeah, I mean, he's got pretty solid hands. And you can, like, he had, as a tight end in high school, he had breakaway speed, like, come on, at like 230 pounds. So I don't know. I don't know if he'll, if he'll actually ever become anything, but I think he has a chance to just rocket ship up with how athletic and big and, you know, and, and a Sark offense. All right, this question comes from D Minor. Uh, Austin, I'll give this to you. What are your oh, thoughts on Malik Willis as a first-round pick? I really wanted to tell you pre-show. I don't want to talk about Malik Willis anymore. Let's um, go. Let's go. Do I think he's going to be a first-round pick? Yeah, probably. Well, probably. Do I think he should be a first-round pick? No. I can see the tools. You know, I'm not an idiot. I can I can tell when somebody can throw it really far, or really hard. I can see when somebody's really fast. I he clearly has those things. Liberty not doing him any favors because they only ask him to read half the field. You can tell when you watch him. He's the, you know they cut the field in half and he basically works half of it. So we have no idea how he works in a normal offense, which is fine. You know that moderately typical, I guess, for guys coming out of of college. But there's just very little nuance to him as a thrower. Literally, the only play I ever see people drop is that one where he's rolling right and he kind of heaves that one that the guy catches like right on the right end zone. That's like a 40 yard cat, uh, you know, uh, throw and catch. That's like the only throw that anybody ever puts that it's like a touch throw because it's the only one he's got. It's like that. He's just, he's not a nuanced thrower at all. He has one speed. It's fastball. He really doesn't change things up. He makes really bad decisions. And this is something where people are like, well, he's a fine decision maker. He is an awful decision maker. He, he will do all the things, you know, you can watch a guy like he's, he's, he's so athletic. He's he'll, he'll buy time in the pocket when the play breaks down, you know, he'll shed a tackle, he'll roll left. And then he sets his feet. Perfect. His shoulder. You're like, Oh, cool. And then he chucks it back across the field in the triple coverage across the middle of the field. And you're like, no. And he does it all the time. He is an awful decision maker that, it, and he's bad enough at it that that's, in my opinion, is not fixable. So just the confluence of all those things, he's, he's like a, a, a third round draft pick at best. Uh, Matt, I think that he's an awful decision maker needs to make its way into the intro. Um, that's, uh, that's really we can, we good. We do that. We're working on a new one. <laughs> uh, Matt, uh, Emory Jones, the Florida quarterback, who some people are very high on PFF, put him in the first round, or Malik Willis? Uh, it's going to be Malik Willis for me, but I agree with Austin 100% on everything he said. I mean, I did a thread on him recently talking about all that. I mean, it's – 
I just think everybody wants to compare him to Lamar Jackson. And I think we all have to, I mean, I know you guys are not saying this, but everybody else who's not paying the close attention to Lamar Jackson is in essence, in my opinion, a unicorn. Not everybody's going to work out that plays the way he does. And I think Lamar Jackson is just a better passer than Malik Willis. He's got better touch. He's got a better fastball. And it hurts me saying that because I don't, I mean, I like Lamar Jackson as a person. I don't like him because he plays for the Baltimore Ravens, but Emory Jones, I don't think is anywhere near the talent that Malik Willis is. And for honestly, my nuts life and sake, I hope that Emory Jones, if he goes in the first round, at least is after round 15. But I, I, I would say, you know, I've already made my bet on Emory Jones. I think it would be highly improbable that he goes in the first round. So if I had to pick one of those two, it would be Malik Willis. Because as Kevin pointed out in the comments here, his schedule is very early to start off the season. So if he goes out there and dominates like he did all last year, it's just going to bump his stock up even more. Well, speaking of Kevin, this next uh, question is from Kevin. Um, based on their current ADP, who would you rather draft? Noah Kane from Penn State at 85.2 or Jerome Ford at 75.6? Uh, Burning, why don't you take that? I will take Austin's boy. Sorry, I'm drinking. Uh, Jerome Ford. I think he's going to produce at Cincinnati this year. Uh, he looked good at times last year. I think he's going to be even better this year for Cincinnati. I expect Cincinnati to have a really good season. I think I've been on record saying I think they might go undefeated this year. Uh, and I do think he has some NFL future. He's obviously going to be much older coming into the NFL, uh, but I have no doubt that he could produce at an NFL level. I just haven't seen it with Noah Kane. I mean, I I like the fact that he's going to Penn State. Penn State's done a really good job of putting out these running backs. I mean, even if you want to talk about Saquon Barkley, look at what Miles Sanders was able to do. And I, I mean, I don't want to say Noah Kane's probably even a step down from Miles Sanders, but I don't know how much. Uh, I'll let Austin talk about the other guy there at Penn State that everybody's hyping up. But I, yeah, for me, it would be Jerome Ford just slightly. You will have to pay for him. Or not really, but you take 10 picks ahead of Noah Kane right now. Jerome Ford's going up for 75, Noah Kane 85. So you're pretty much in a draft unless you're on, at that turn, going to have to take one or the other. So I'm going to take Jerome Ford. Yeah, those are those picks are close enough, and it's far enough back in the draft where the difference is pretty negligible. It's not like it's pick like like there's a difference between ten and twenty. There's not as much difference between seventy five and eighty five, which is kind of where these two guys are. Um, give me Ford. He's we've seen how um, you know since he running backs the last couple guys, Michael Warren and uh, Jared Dokes have both produced there. I think he's a better athlete than both. I think he's a better football player than both. Better receiver probably than both. Uh, just a better all around player. I I think he. I think, you know, I, you know, I, I play a lot of C2C stuff and I don't necessarily have the CFF background. So there are people that, you know, project and, and I will generally, you know, defer um, to those people. But I, I think Ford has a chance to be like a top three or four running back in the NCAA this year. I really, really do. I think he's going to catch a fair amount of passes. I think he's going to rush for a shit ton of yards if that Georgia game was anything to go off of and, the, you know, their recent history. I just think he's going to be a stud this year. Um, I will say, though, you know, Noah Kane, like, I, I don't love Noah Kane, but like I don't, he's he's the starting running back at Penn State. Get out of here with your Kayvon Lee stuff. He's the starting running back there. He was going to be the starting running back there last year, and then he got hurt on what? Literally his first snap of the of the year, I believe, and was out for the rest of the season. He's he's the guy. They like him more, and in my opinion, Kayvon Lee is literally nothing special at all. I get I get none of the hype about him. He's he's very he's like Raheem Boyd. Like he, he's a lumberer. 
Kane might be too, but we also haven't seen Kane in two years to know that. Like I, I so I Kane Kane's a starting yeah. running back there. Don't fool yourself. It's a what have you done for me lately? And so I'll take Jerome Ford as well. Our last question here is from Sam Austin. Uh, do you treat talent versus coaching slash opportunity any differently in uh, college fantasy football than you do in the NFL? And I believe you know. I think that this is this question is getting to is. Um, how much does talent matter versus uh, landing spot in the NFL? We've heard that discussion a lot, um, but what role does that play in how you select players on the college side of campus to camp leagues? I think it has to to impact it, and it does a lot more than um, you know the NFL, where the talent disparity is so is so great a lot of the time. Um, you know, they're, they're really smart people, you know, like Kyle Francis, Mike Bainbridge, you know, and, and Joe over at the CFF site. Uh, and there are others too, but the, you know, they, they look at the historical production for these coaches and basically can pinpoint, you know, who's going to have a big year just based on the system that these guys run and, and what they can do. That's why we have Jarek's new tool at the website that kind of breaks down. This was, I don't think this was meant to be a, pl- <laughs> a place where we plug, but Jarek just built this new tool where you can go in and chart how coaches have done offensively specifically with EPA um, and in, in like neutral game game script situations to kind of piece together, you know, do so like you want a Sark running back. You want a Nick Rolovich, who's the uh, head coach at Washington state. You want a Rolovich uh, quarterback and you want his slot receivers because that's where that offense funnels the targets. You know, you want, Mike Leach receivers, you know, because, you know, the, it's a, they're going to pass it a sh- to 45 times a game. You know, they, there are just systems where you know that the next guy that steps up is going to, you know, have between X and X touches and X and X yards. And it, 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 it's a lot more formulaic than the NFL for sure. And that's because in the NFL, the talent doesn't get to choose where it goes. And in college, obviously, your coach is an indication of your talent. For just for example, uh, 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 Iowa is known for recruiting good tight ends. I mean, they're just known for pr- producing that position. So um, you're going to lean towards taking a risk with with the Iowa tight ends with Sam Laporta or wh- whomever because of their track record. Um, uh, obviously, Lincoln Riley w- with quarterbacks. You always want to have a Lincoln Riley, Riley quarterback because he's done a, a very well at recruiting and developing that position, which is why I was so high originally on Brock Vandergrift because he was the original commit there before Caleb Williams. So um, I think that you have to take into account um, the, the coach and the opportunity because that's an indication of what type of player – uh, that is, which is why can't be really high on a lot of Michigan skill position players. So, all right, um, Chris Moxley, get in here. How did we? How did we do tonight? Uh, y'all did pretty good. I don't know what Malik Willis did to Austin or his family, but man, like that was that was pretty scorched earth. I will give Austin also a chance to clarify his Grant Calcaterra take. Because a month ago, Grant Gagatera was a do not draft on Bef- before the late rounds. Before the late rounds, I wrote the late rounds. Article. All right. So I, I going- said when we were talking tonight after round thirty. That's after when I was considering Grant Gagatera. There you go. That's that's for the people who were reading your article. All five of them. All five of them. All right, y'all were y'all were good. Clean bill help. 
Did well, I that's win? We didn't I, throw any stats around tonight. So was, was my one point enough to take me home? Did I win? Uh, you tie with Colin, who mentioned Elijah Arroyo on the uh, Campus Life pod a couple weeks ago. So you guys tied, and he wasn't even here. And that guy started Colin. <laughs> You're muted, Phoenix. Wouldn't have been a show without it. He Felix still doesn't know. He's still going. <laughs> <laughs> Check out all the co- the content around the Campus to Canton family, including the latest commentary at campusdecanton.com, and check out the Campus to Canton podcast feed, but that's going to be our show for tonight. Apologies to Kurt Curb Street. We ran out of time, but we'll get him rescheduled soon. We'll get you rescheduled, Kurt. From Matt Bruning and Austin Ace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama. Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama. And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years. Their 17th overall. And for Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks at the end zone. Hunter and Bell caught it! Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro. And Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill, just in front of his end zone, has a man out there. It is Ranger, and he's off to the races. Nobody will catch him. For the freshman. He made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry. He'll add to that. Goodbye. Touchdown, Ohio State. From 52 yards.